0: You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. So when you think about the history of the church, you know, keeping the the children in our services uh, with their parents, I mean, that has kind of been uh, the normal practice throughout the ages, from the itty-bitty, just-born kids to um, the the toddlers to their older siblings, you know, throughout most of, of history, the the church has worshipped together as as families. Families worshiped with their families. And so that that is what we, we have the opportunity to do today. And and I am excited for that. Uh, even with my own kids uh, e- even if they don't completely understand everything that's going on with the service, even if they don't understand everything that I am talking about, or they didn't understand all of the songs that, that we sang, that's okay. You know, this is an opportunity for them to begin to learn, uh, to begin to learn how to sing, how to be able to sit still in their seats, um, how to open up their Bibles. And find you know passages of scripture. Um, This is a learning opportunity for them. So I'm I'm excited uh, to have you know even all the the little ones uh, in service with us this morning. Um, But I do uh, just want to make sure that I'm doing my part this morning uh, to help. Everyone who is in this room um, understand this passage of scripture that we are studying. Um, so I've, I've tried to kind of simplify the sermon outline today, uh, just to help it, you know, make sure that everyone is able to kind of understand and follow it. Um, and if we're being honest, I think that even many of the adults in this room uh, and you know some of the the newer believers. I think we'll appreciate having a more kind of simplified outline. Um, There also may be times this morning uh, where I do just take the opportunity to uh, speak directly, uh, even to the the little ones that are here with us this morning. Um, Just talk to them, you know, making sure that they know how this passage can explicitly relate to them. Um, And then finally, I I do just want to make sure that uh, you know, because this, this is a longer passage of scripture that we're gonna be studying. It's, you know, 34 verses, it's a longer chapter. Um, I just wanna go ahead and, and give everybody kind of the main idea of what we're talking about this morning, uh, just to make sure that everybody, young and old, we, we all understand this passage and what it's saying. So the, the shortest way that I could uh, describe this passage to you is to say that it, it really speaks about the importance of unity unity is like a the one word summary that i'd give to you if you stopped me on the street um, and asked me what uh, joshua chapter 22 was all about Uh, we're going to read about uh, some of the 12 tribes of israel uh, and how two and a half of these tribes uh, they're actually going to be physically separated uh, from the rest of Israel, because they've decided to settle down and build their cities and villages on the opposite side of the Jordan River from the other tribes. Uh, But even though they're going to physically be separated, the Lord is still calling all of the tribes to be unified together as one nation. So this passage is about unity, uh, but even more so, it's about what that unity is to be based on. You know, if you played on a local sports team, well, then everybody on that team, they're going to have a a common interest. They're going to have a common love for that particular sport. And the same could be said for any other, you know, social club that you might join. But as Christians, our unity doesn't come from any shared interests or hobbies it comes from our shared love for the Lord. So this is the main idea of this passage. If you want to write it down, help you, you know, remember it, um, it's that our love for the Lord should lead to a more lasting unity. Our love for the Lord should lead to a more lasting kind of unity. So what I'm going to do now is I want to just walk you through this story of Joshua uh, 22 Uh, And this is a a passage that's long enough, I'm not going to read it all at once. Uh, Rather, I'm going to break it up into pieces and uh, read different parts as we go. Uh, But as we work through these verses, there's going to be three examples for us to learn from about the importance of unity. And, And one of these examples can teach us something that we are not to do. And then the other examples will offer suggestions of what we are called to do. So let me go ahead and read the first part of today's text, verses one through nine, uh, and we'll see what we are called not to do from this passage. If we want to be unified together as God's people, then don't assume. That's the first example that we're going to see and we're going to learn from is that we uh, are not to assume. Don't assume. So let me go ahead and read verses 1 through 9, and then we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, hear from the word of the Lord this morning. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but you have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to them and to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. And so Joshua blessed them and he sent them away and they went to their tents. And now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, uh, but to the other half, Joshua had given possession beside uh, their brothers in the land that is west of the Jordan. And then Joshua sent them away to their homes and he blessed them and he said to them, go back to your tents with such wealth and with very much livestock, with silver and gold and bronze and iron and with much clothing and divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. And so the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh returned home. Parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is the land of Cana, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed by themselves by the command of the Lord through Moses. Now, this is the word of the Lord. Um, As I said, uh, there were 12 tribes of Israel. I think most of you probably know that, Um, but when those 12 tribes... When they first came to the land of Cana, uh, which is the land that God had promised to give them, uh, two and a half tribes uh, of, of Israel, uh, they actually wanted to settle down in the land that was east of Cana, on the eastern banks of the Jordan River, rather than living with the rest of the tribes and, and the promised land itself. Now, the reason for this is because the land there uh, on the, the eastern side of the Jordan, it was wide open, It had these beautiful, wide open spaces that were perfect for pasture land. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and many of those from the tribe of Manasseh, they had lots and lots of livestock and they wanted to settle down in those lands where there would be plenty of room for their animals, And for about a a year and a half of my own life, I actually lived right where we are talking about, right where those eastern tribes once were. Um, And I actually used to go hiking there all the time. I mean, there were so many just beautiful, just picture-perfect hills all around as far as the eye could see. Um, And this is really just kind of an aside, Uh, but once I was actually picked up by uh, the border patrol that was there in Jordan, because a friend of mine and I, we were just walking around all of these beautiful hills and and all of these uh, beautiful fields taking pictures of this beautiful landscape, Uh, but we actually got too close to the Jordan River, which is the boundary uh, between Israel and Jordan. And they couldn't figure out, you know, why these two random white guys were walking around taking so many pictures. So they just thought that we must be up to no good. Uh, but, but I can understand the, the beauty and the appeal of this land and why these tribes wanted to settle on the eastern banks of this river. It really was the perfect place to have these wide open pasture lands for their livestock. Uh, But If you remember back to the earlier parts of Joshua, the men of these Eastern tribes, they were only permitted to settle in this land if they first agreed to a very important condition. Uh, They had to agree to help uh, the rest of the tribes conquer the land of Cana before they could be released from their military duties uh, and before they could return to live with their families on the other side of the river. And in case you're wondering just, you know, how long this has been and how much time has passed by, uh, they have been serving uh, in the Israelite army, helping conquer the land for about seven and a half years. Just as point of reference, that is longer than the entirety of World War II. Um, I, can see, I can remember growing up hearing stories uh, from my grandfather who served in World War II and uh, he was was sent to uh, Germany. And, and you know I'm sure that many of the, the veterans in, in our own church can relate to this, but my grandfather said that actually one of the greatest hardships that he had to face uh, wasn't actually the war itself. Um, it was actually being so distant from his family and from his wife for so long. Uh, but these men who had to fight to conquer the land of Cana they, they were actually away from their families for even longer than, than anyone who served in a world war like World War II. Uh, they were gone for seven and a half years, and, and this is without modern conveniences like you know telephones. They, they couldn't just call their loved ones who were settling in on the other side of the river and just you know, tell them that they were doing okay and, and check on them. No, they were isolated from them for a very long time. So you have verses like we see, uh, verse three in this passage, thanking these brave men for such a sacrifice because throughout the entire war, they did not forsake their brothers these many days down to this day, but instead they have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord their God. So, so in the first part of this chapter, Joshua uh, commends these Eastern tribes for having been so faithful But then he also urges them to continue to be faithful to the Lord even after they return home. So let me read to you what happens next, starting in verse 10. Uh, And I'll I'll go to verse 12. Uh, We read that when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is the land of Cana, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, they have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Cana in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the peoples of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. So the men of the Eastern tribes, they've been faithful to serve the Lord this last you know, seven and a half years. Joshua commends them for that. And then he also commands them to continue to be faithful. But almost immediately after they leave, Joshua and his men begin hearing these rumors that they're building a new altar, a new place for worship, one that was impressive in size and maybe one that was even going to rival Uh, the the beauty and the size of the tabernacle itself. And the law of Moses explicitly was clear that the only proper place for any Israelite to offer such sacrifices was the tabernacle itself. So it appears at first glance that these eastern tribes are already forsaking their vows that they had just made to the Lord And maybe they're they're already beginning to follow after and serve other gods because it it appears like they're building some kind of altar to them, which is why we read in verse 12 that the rest of the Israelites gathered together there at Shiloh in order to prepare for battle. They are preparing for an all-out civil war to occur. But as we'll see later as we continue to study this passage, this has all just been an assumption on Israel's part. They don't actually have all the facts gathered up. They don't actually know exactly what's going on. They're just assuming that their brothers and their sisters from their other tribes have begun to forsaken, uh, to forsake the Lord. So, so from this example, we see in the first part of the story, uh, this is what you are, are learn to learn not to do. At least not if we want you God's people to continue to be unified as one. And that's don't assume. Don't assume. Let me just talk to uh, the few little ones that, that we have in here for just a moment. Um, if you don't know what the Lord or what, what the word assume means, let me just give you a, a quick definition. Uh, assuming means to have an opinion or to make a decision uh, before you know all the facts. So, if your parents tell you that it's time to turn off the TV, like I tell Jonah all the time, you might assume that it's because your parents don't like you to have any fun. I mean, if they really loved you, then they'd want you to have more fun and they'd, they'd let you watch more TV. Uh, But that's what assuming is. You're making a decision in your mind. You're forming an opinion in your head before you know all the facts. You know, maybe they ask you to turn off the TV, not because they don't love you or because they don't want you to have any fun, but because they actually really, really love you. And they want you to be healthy and to get fresh air uh, or to to go to bed on time or because they want you to to go outside and, and play. So... That's for the kids, but let me also speak to the the adults in the room for just a moment. How often do we ourselves make assumptions? And how many church fights or church splits could we avoid if we simply stopped making those kinds of assumptions about one another? I mean, in our churches today, we are constantly dividing ourselves up into all of these different tribes. And there's a whole host of proverbial rivers and barriers that we have that are keeping these tribes separated and divided from one another. I mean, just think about music, for example. Uh, for some, if a hymn wasn't written before the 20th century, then we shouldn't want to sing it in our church. Uh, but for others unless it's still in that top 10 uh, worship you know, chart on a Christian radio station, unless it's still being played, well, then it's already too old to sing. You know, there, there are all sorts of churches that are still out there that that if you see a guy that walks into the sanctuary and he doesn't have a jacket and a tie on, well, then people in those churches might just assume, well, he can't possibly love or respect the Lord as he should, Uh, or or else, you know, he would be dressed more appropriately. But then you also have other churches where if you walked into their sanctuary with a suit on, people would look at you like you just grew a third eye. Uh, In in so many of our churches, we we self- divide ourselves by age or personal styles or preferences, uh, even by race. I mean, statistics still show that the most segregated time of the week in the United States is still on Sunday mornings. So, so we have all of these different tribes that we, that we have, and we faced all the, these dangerous temptations to make assumptions about those who come from a different tribe than our own. But, but how much fighting could simply just be avoided altogether if we would just stop making these kinds of assumptions and if we would simply do what we see next in this story? So let me go back to these verses and we begin reading in verse 13. Uh, and I'll go ahead and read to verse 20. It says this, uh, Then the people of Israel... They sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. They sent Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel and one uh, of them the head of the family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. And they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel and turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourself an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And, the, uh, and if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stand and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in this matter of the devoted things and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel? And did he not perish alone for his iniquity? So as you you hear this, um, what what we see is that initially the people of the Western tribes, uh, they had gathered together in a place called Shiloh and they gathered together in order to make war against the Eastern tribes because they uh, had heard all of these rumors that they were building an altar and that you know they were going to begin following other gods and worshiping other gods at this altar. But then notice from those verses that I just read, that's not actually what they end up doing. They don't actually send their army out to the Eastern tribes. Instead, instead of sending their military... They instead send a delegation of messengers. They send out representatives from each of the tribes and and they go to inquire and ask some questions about what their brothers in the East have done. And here's the second example that we can learn from in this story. Uh, Don't assume, but do ask questions. Don't assume, but do ask questions. You know, life can be difficult enough and filled with enough temptation as it is. So it's important to be willing to ask one another hard and uh, difficult questions from time to time. Uh, Life was not going to be easy uh, for these tribes uh, out in the East. Originally, all of the tribes were supposed to live together on the western banks of the Jordan in the land of Cana, uh, which meant that they would all be near one another to offer support, uh, both military support and spiritual support as well. Uh, But eventually, two and a half of the tribes, they were given special permission to live out east. And this meant that they were actually going to be living further from their fellow uh, Israelites. Uh, There would be a large river to act as a barrier between them. Um, It was going to take a lot more effort for these tribes to travel a a greater distance to the tabernacle or later to the temple uh, to offer all of their sacrifices and to go to these annual festivals. Um, And instead of being surrounded by these other Israelite tribes, the the eastern tribes are actually going to be surrounded by foreign uh, enemy nations, So there's already going to be a lot of spiritual difficulties that these tribes are going to face, and there's going to be a very real temptation for them to forsake the God that the rest of the Israelites worshipped and to instead bow down and worship the, the gods of Israel's enemies And this meant that it was all the more important for their fellow tribes to to have the courage to keep an eye on them, to watch out for them, and to ask these kinds of difficult questions from time to time, like you see in this passage. So let me just take a moment again uh, to speak to some of the kids that we have here with us. Um, When I was a kid, I I always hated uh, when my parents... Uh, asked me questions. I'm sure even the adults in this room can relate to that when you uh, were kids. Man, I didn't like being asked questions about what I was up to, uh, about where I was going. I didn't like to to have to constantly tell them uh, which friend's you know, house that I was hanging out at. I didn't like it when they asked me questions about you know, what internet sites I'd been visiting or what movies that I was watching. Uh, but The older I become, the more I realize that those questions, they're actually a sign of a parent's love. That my parents loved me because they asked me those kinds of questions. Because they knew what a dangerous world that I was growing up in. And they knew that they needed to ask me those kinds of hard questions for my own benefit. It was for my protection. So, so even if those questions can feel annoying or frustrating from time to time. Uh, if you're a kid that you still lives in your parents' household, uh, know that these questions are asked out of love uh, because parents care. Let me also talk to everybody else in this room. We, we also, even as adults, need to understand that, that even though the assumptions that the Israelites were making, that the assumptions were a mistake, these questions that they're asking certainly was not a mistake. And we would do well to take a look at our own lives and, and ponder if we have similar loved ones who are also willing to ask us those difficult and hard questions. Let me ask you this. I mean, have you cultivated this kind of habit with your spouse to ask them about their personal and spiritual disciplines I mean, and do, do they also ask you those questions in return? You know, how long can you go without reading your Bible or regularly praying to the Lord or attending church? How long can you go before somebody in your life starts asking you questions, asking you what's changed, asking you what's up? The, the easiest way for you to fall into the trap of sin is for you to isolate yourself From other followers of Christ, and to distance yourself from them so that they can no longer keep you accountable. I mean, just think about King David as an example of that. I mean, he was all alone up on that rooftop when he first spotted Bathsheba. I mean, he was supposed to be off at war, which is where all of his advisors and all of the soldiers were. But David isolated himself, He, he stayed behind. And so he had nobody uh, to keep him accountable. There was nobody questioning him about his very morally questionable decisions. And he ended up not only committing adultery, but also murder as well. So so as a church, let us cultivate this kind of system of of transparency. Let us be willing to hold one another accountable and, and to ask those difficult questions from time to time lest we succumb to the temptations of the enemy. So don't assume, we saw that in the first part of the story, but do ask questions. We saw that in the verses that I just read a moment ago. Uh, But let me go ahead and and read to you the the rest of today's text. I'm gonna start at verse 21, and I'm gonna go all the way to the end of the chapter, at verse 34, Uh, this is gonna be the longest set of verses I'm gonna read, Um, So feel free, if you have your Bibles, to to follow uh, along with me as you hear from the rest of this chapter. Starting there in verse 21. It says that the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, he knows. And let Israel itself know if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the lord then do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the lord or, or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it then may the lord himself take vengeance no, but no but we did it from fear that in time to come your children may say to our children what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made a boundary, uh, made Jordan a boundary between us and you, uh, you, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children to cease to worship the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us build an altar, not to burn, for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, And between our generation after us that we uh, do perform the service of the lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings so your children will not say to our children in the time to come you have no portion in the lord and we thought that if this should be said to us or to our descendants in the time to come we should say behold the copy of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burn offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord uh, by building an altar for burnt offering, a grain offering and sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord, our God, which stands before his tabernacle. And when Phinehas, the priest, and the chiefs of the congregations, and the head of the family of Israel who were with them, they heard the words of the people of Reuben, and the people of Gad, and the people of Manasseh spoke, it was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and the people of Reuben, and the people of Gad, and the people of Manasseh, they said, today, we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord, Yet now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. And then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest and the chiefs, returned to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the land of Gilead, to the land of Cana, to the people of Israel. And they brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God. And they spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. And the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, they called the altar witness. For they said, it is a witness between us uh, that the Lord is God. So so what's going on in these final verses? The Israelites, they had been preparing to make war. Uh, They went You know, they went about making all of these unfounded assumptions. uh, And then they they went from that to taking the time to actually ask some appropriate questions. And only now will they act. That's what we learned from this final part of the passage. Uh, Don't assume, but do ask, and only then should you act. Don't assume, but do ask, and then act. So, so let's see how both the, the Eastern tribes and the Western tribes, how they both act and respond to this whole situation. Uh, let's start with the Eastern tribes. How do they respond when, when they asked why they built this altar? Well, first they respond by acknowledging the Lord in verse 22. Uh, and, and then they acknowledge actually the truth to the claims that this delegation has uh, that that has said to them the, the the truth of of their words they acknowledge it they say uh, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord that this altar was built well they acknowledge that then they shouldn't be spared I mean if they actually did break any of the commandments of God you know like the, these claims are, are saying well then they say well that it should be the Lord Himself that should take. You know, he should be the first to take vengeance and to strike them down. If they did anything wrong, well, then, of course, they should be punished. But here's the thing is they actually didn't do anything wrong because this impressive altar that they built out in the eastern countryside, it's not an altar on which they're going to make sacrifices. It's not an altar on which they're going to worship other gods. It's an altar of witness. It's actually a memorial to remind future generations and and especially to remind the children that both the tribes in the East and the West are all one people and and they both worship the same God. Verses 24 and 25 tell us that the Eastern tribes They were worried about future generations and how they may look at them and their children. And they were worried that they may say, What have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. These people were worried that future generations might tell their children that they had no portion in the Lord. And if that's the case, then they would likely be excluded from being able to travel to the tabernacle to offer their sacrifices there. They would be excluded from being near the presence of the Lord himself, who dwelled in the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. So, So this altar of witness they built was a reminder that what bound these tribes together had never been nor ever would be their shared land. These tribes were going to live on uh, different sides of the river in in this period of history when uh, bridges were few and far between. uh, This meant that these tribes were going to live somewhat isolated from one another. Uh, So what bound them together was not a common set of land, but was rather a common faith, a common salvation, because both The East Tribes and and the Western Tribes both had been saved out of the same slavery and bondage in Egypt. And this is what binds brothers and sisters in Christ together today. We, We still have our own barriers that separate us and make us different from one another. But our unity comes from our common source of salvation from Jesus's death, his burial, his resurrection. So let me just talk to the kids one more time this morning. Um, right now we have, we have kids sitting with us here in service. And I'm really glad uh, that they're all here with us. Um, but I just want to make it clear that just because you come to church doesn't make you a Christian. All Christians should certainly go to church. That's very important, but simply coming here doesn't make anyone a follower of Jesus. I try to let my kids know that from time to time. What makes everyone in this room part of God's family isn't that we all get dressed up to drive to the same place every Sunday morning, uh, what unites us, what makes all of us a spiritual family is the same belief that we all have in Jesus. And if you haven't, and I'm speaking to anybody in this room now, if you haven't done this already, I would invite you to become a follower of Jesus, which means that you first have to understand who he was. You have to understand that Jesus was and is God, and and God became a human being named Jesus, and Jesus lived a perfect life on earth without sin, which is something that nobody else has ever been able to do. And, And then he went and he died on the cross in order to take away your sin and my sin. Because all of us were sinners, uh, because all of us have done so many bad things in our lives, Uh, we were the ones that were supposed to be punished. But Jesus chose to take our punishment for us so that we wouldn't have to. So if you would believe in Jesus... And if you would ask him to forgive you for all of your sin all of the the bad things in your life, and you would agree to become a disciple or a follower of Jesus, then that 's what it takes to become a Christian and to join this spiritual family and if you have if anybody has any questions about that or what that means I would be more than happy to talk to you about that um, but we we see. From this story, hearing about the the Eastern tribes, what what made them united together uh, was not a common set of land, but was their common salvation. And that's what unites all of us together today um, is our common salvation in Christ. But but now that we have seen how the Eastern tribes act and respond to this whole situation, uh, let me close by just briefly talking about how the Western tribes act and respond after they stopped assuming and they finally get around to asking the appropriate questions, trying to to figure out why their brothers built this altar of witness, what do they end up doing? What what actions do they take? You, You see the answer to this in verse 33. It says that the people of Israel then blessed God and they spoke no more of making war. So first they blessed God which is just another way of saying that they began to worship God, and then they spoke no more of making war, which is another way of saying that God's people became united together once again. Even though the eastern tribes would physically be separated in body from the rest of Israel, they could all still be united in spirit. So so as you go this morning, please think about that important link between those two things between loving and worshiping God on the one hand and being united together as the people of God on the other hand. Those two realities are inseparably linked. It's only our love for the Lord that can lead us to any kind of unity that will ever last. And if we do stand side by side with one another, united as brothers and sisters in Christ, the only explanation for that, the only way that you could ever fully explain that kind of unity is our mutual love for Jesus. Because that's the only way that such a diverse people with nothing else in common could ever love one another like Christians do. So as you leave this morning, just think about that connection between your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with other Christ followers. And as you have the opportunity, just take some time uh, to ask yourself some very important questions like this. Could it be that when we fight over minuscule details, like so many people often do when when, when we fight over things like, you know, what color should a church's carpet be or what what the order of service for a Sunday morning should look like? Could it be that the reason that we do that is simply because we are deficient and lacking in our love for the Lord? Could it be that when you fight and bicker and disagree with other Christians around you, could it be because you yourself actually don't love the Lord as you ought? It's only our, our mutual love for the Lord that can ever lead us to a more lasting unity. Without first loving Jesus, then we have no hope of being able to love one another. At the end of the day, the tribes of Israel, they were more unified together at the end of this passage than when they began. And I pray that the same would be true of us as well, that despite whatever differences we may have, uh, that we would all seek to love the Lord and to love one another all the more uh, with each passing day. And I pray that we would become a more unified body of believers as a result. Let me pray. Father, just thank you. Uh, thank you for the examples that we, that we see through these tribes of, of ancient Israel. Um, though they were, you know, there were physical boundaries and barriers that ultimately separated these people, uh, these obstacles didn't prevent them from being united in the same faith, through the same experience of salvation. And I pray that that would just be true for all of us as well, that we would remember that all of us um, are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can only call ourselves brothers and sisters because we have all equally been bought by the precious blood of Christ. He alone is, is the basis by which we can love one another and be united together as well. Just say all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.